I hear some of you think we're wrong. I mean, so Kilt did this magnificent piece last week for bold Christian writing on Gab. And we have been getting so much conversation uh, being told, being told over and over again. I mean, activity on my channel that has not been seen since, I don't know, the last time I did something mischievous on the internet. But apparently, apparently, she raised some controversy with her argument about exactly why Paris is in flames. Now, we recognize we recognize that this is now three cycles ago and you all are worrying about, oh, I don't know, tornadoes hitting Pfizer or whatever happened in the most recent Disney fiasco and stuff. But we here in the Mosaic Arc do history. And so even though it's nearly a week old, we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> and maybe even older than that. Welcome to the Mosaic Arc. Do you even remember last week? I mean, it's it's so <laughs> long ago. In the internet time, it might as well be infinity time. A whole eon. A whole eon. It's seven days ago. <laughs> and I and I spent my life trying to live in the Middle Ages. I it's like you guys put I, I I I'm starting to understand why this is so difficult. For people to get a grip on it's like thinking thinking in terms of a thousand years when people can't remember yesterday how are we going to help them <laughs> well, <laughs> well i've had to claw my way out of a similar thought process so <laughs> and i'm still doing it so i'm leaving uh little white pebbles behind me as i wander through the forest of current mm. events to let everyone sort of find their way uh, along uh with me um because i you know i'm chronologically disabled <laughs> so i wanted to mark the moment because it was a moment and i just had this big feeling i was like i want to mark mm. this moment it's going to come back it's going to happen again and um i wanted to sort of put the put the stamp on it before it <laughs> evaporated into whatever the current thing is today I do, I do feel like it's getting worse. I mean, I used to have, before COVID, had a just rock solid sense of chronology. I could remember things. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, there's a great um, scene in one of Dorothy Sayers' novels where Peter and Parker are talking to a guy who's been in an anatomy class 
And they're saying, I bet you could remember, you know, last Tuesday. And he's like, no, I couldn't. And they, they take him through a series of questions. And he's like, he does actually remember very, very accurately. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I believe, I think I would have, dip, let's, let's, let's take, let's take our listeners back. What on earth were you talking about? <laughs> does anybody even remember? It was so long ago now. What, what are the, where did so. the pebbles lead to most recently? Well, all of the rioting in France. There was rioting. Remember that? No. Remember seven days no. ago? <laughs> it was a. There were angry mobs burning things and looting shops, and the police couldn't contain them. Motorcycles were being stolen and driven away, and there was a guy sitting down in the middle of a town square eating a sandwich, <laughs> wedged between a group of rioters and then riot police. <laughs> so yeah are you the, sure uh, that doesn't even ride. seem real are you sure they were rioting in paris they were yeah. well they were rioting somewhere in france uh in a few places <laughs> i saw a library on fire fires all over marseille's library yeah. caught fire yeah a few buildings a few buildings were lit on fire um, I posted one which turned out to not be Marseille. It was somewhere in the Philippines, so I had to retract that. <laughs> bit. Um. Okay, so this, <laughs> this is our problem as historians of the internet, you know, archiving mm -hmm. and, well, okay, one, archiving, right? Keeping actual records of things that happen so that although everything is, every the internet remembers everything, it remember, it seems to remember nothing accurately. That's a problem. Yeah, there's no... Uh... There's no fixed memory in the internet. Everything can get uh, recycled and um, reworded instantly. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 memory hole uh, is real. So yeah, everyone's uh, everyone posting everything suddenly it can all just get deleted, and we don't have any way of tracking. Uh, which was a big a big reason why I wrote the piece mm -hmm. because that sort of effect is uh, the European experience in a lot of ways. And um, I mean, it's been the experience of Australians. We've had our entire civilizational memory of being Europeans wiped almost. And so I have to place pieces in different spots in order to figure out how we got here, but also what was going on in Europe, mm -hmm. the Europe that we left before we uh, started the the side the side quest. The side quest that is that is Australia. <laughs> yeah, but you think so? You, I mean, you traveled in Europe, right? You think it would be easier for Europe? Mm -hmm. And we've back. Oh my gosh, you know, it's like the, our the anchor that we have is all these. We're at episode fifty one now. We're nearly to fifty two a full year's worth of mosaic arcs. Mm -hmm. And somewhere last summer, we talked about memory <laughs> and architecture and yeah. memory palaces and being able to anchor ourselves yep. in nation by way of our structures. I mean, you'd think France would have an easier time of it because they've got a lot of those buildings. Well, they fewer do. than they did last week. <laughs> Because mm. some of them caught on fire, and no, and the thing is, I I've been spoofed by by some of these things too. Maybe not. I I think I got confused about which library it was, and and 
you know, unfortunately, people are saying, oh, you know, the library is burning, all this, this knowledge is lost. I'm like, well, I bet, I hope they kept the manuscripts in a vault because that is actually what the great libraries tend to do now with their precious mm -hmm. um, books, particularly after, oh, the Germans burned Louvain Library twice, both in World War One and in World War II. So, I mean, this, this phenomenon of losing their libraries in flames, ah, well, sometimes they're doing it to each other, right? Yes. A lot of our a lot of yeah. our medieval history went up in flames in World War One, and then the, what was left went up in flames in World War Two, and the Americans kind of helped with some of that. So, hmm, uh, maybe mm -hmm. maybe it is harder for them to remember because, like, who built who bombed the buildings? That's sometimes a little bit tricky to get a grip on. Yes. Well, it's a that's a difficult conversation, isn't it? Well, it was topical. It was topical to your piece, right? Because certain people are blaming certain mm -hmm. other people for being the cause for the certain things that are happening to whatever is happening in Europe. We have, we have, we have a, we have our yes. first image here. It's, 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 it's Seinfeld solves all, right? And flames, Kramer. What's going on in <laughs> France? Two hundred years of godless liberalism is reaching its natural conclusion. <laughs> oh well, we should just blame, you know, modernity. That would be simple. But was that what people were doing? No, they were not doing that. Uh, at least in the in the internet uh, the internet sphere that I'm circling around in and and, and raving in, <laughs> uh, it was not godless liberalism that was to blame. It was Africans. It was the race of the people that were rioting that was to blame. Uh, I, I, I sense, I a, I sense a contradiction here. Is it, is it, <laughs> is it modernity? I mean, so, I mean, I just off the top of our heads and in from previous episodes, we can very easily come up with context in which it was certain Europeans doing it to other certain Europeans. And now you're saying it's Africans? Explain. Apparently, seven Please days explain. ago. <laughs> Well, seven days ago, when large groups of what looked to be African mm. men were running through the streets of France and bashing the windows of shops, smashing glass and, and raiding storefronts and libraries and other areas, causing chaos, uh, it looked like what everyone described. Okay, this is a race war. Mm. This is Africans versus French. So I found that amusing because <laughs> I've lived in Africa and. Oh, really? You mean Africans uh, do not do this in Africa in the same way? Well, actually, very, no, we do have, we do is, actually have stories from Africa, for example, Rwanda, where they were quite yes. brutal to each other. Although that was, I mean, that was Hutu, oh, golly, I've, I did that off the top of my head. The, Hutus and Tutsis. Hutus and Tutsis, whom I think mm -hmm. are both black. Yes. Do you think you could tell was, them apart if you saw a Hutu <laughs> and a Tutsi? That was a really interesting race war because they both looked the same. So, hmm. yeah. Hmm. The, the the Genocide Museum in Rwanda is really, uh, really something to visit. It's quite a horrible place. I've been there. Hmm. Um, hmm. And Rwanda, the country, is uh, incredibly beautiful and uh you can still feel that the, the nation has been very, very badly bruised by what they did to each other. But these two tribes of people 
are indistinguishable from one another to foreigners. To someone who is not from Rwanda or Burundi, he would not be able to tell the difference. And they hacked each other to death with machetes. Uh, and um, yeah, so I mean, in terms of a race war, that's a race war. Uh, what was happening in Paris didn't look like a race war to me. Okay, so I think I think we've probably we've lost all five of our viewers by this point. <laughs> Some of which I think are us Sorry. being logged in, right? Evening all. Hi Casey. Hi Mel. Um Casey, you're you're doing the spoilers again. The atheistic French government is burning France down by allowing the violence. Yes, we're <laughs> we need to help people understand that. <laughs> Because yes. what everyone has leapt to is the description that, of course, the media, and I'm not even I don't watch enough of the media to know which ones anybody says. Because frankly, if I if I watch regular cable or mainstream news, my brain collapses in three seconds. Um, because because they're so clearly trying to give you some version of the story that they've all agreed is the one that is the right one to tell at this moment, and. Um, that usually for me leaves out a lot of the pieces. Well, the excuse for this one was similar to Black Lives Matter rioting in right. America. It was that the, you know, this North African uh, teenager had been abused by police, by French police. And so they started a riot because of the, the racial abuse. And so liberal media ran with that narrative to say that the, the native French are racist. And this is why all of the, uh, the uh, immigrants to France are rioting because they're in a terrible social condition and they're not being treated equally and uh, they're being marginalized, etc. Which is also, um, you know, a, a narrative that I wanted to counter with this article because I don't believe it for a second that they're being marginalized. I think... Uh, something else was going on in, in France. Uh, I think the the France that they've migrated to is the problem. It's not, uh, it's, it's not racism. So it is in fact yeah. 200 years of godless liberalism. Yes. <laughs> How? Okay, so this, this, this is a tall order. How are you going to convince our listeners that that's the case because we have I, I what I said in my intro we have gotten a lot of pushback I mean you instantly yeah. on your on your own channel got a lot of pushback I mean we, we we're yes. regularly told on telegram that we're naive and of course it's a race war but I mean it's it's some it's sometimes more layered than that as well do you have do you remember anything in particular I, it's like I just it's like okay so we've gotten used to like not being flooded with conversation because well you know we we confuse everybody so much they have no which they have no idea where to where to hit right which is good which is good we're keeping you guys guessing our pirate our pirate ship you know you're not sure whose side we're on we're happy about that but on this one it felt like more people thought they could tell us we were wrong instantly it's like no 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 you're you it is yeah. definitely race war you're just naive that you're not seeing it well um no, I'm definitely not not naive. I mean, uh... <laughs> well, haven't you like actually said, lived said... in 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 parts of Africa yourself? I... So one, yeah. you have yeah. a bit more context for, you know, as I live on the south side of Chicago, and so when people start talking about the way American blacks behave, I'm like, uh, you're not describing my neighbors, yeah. so I don't know what you're talking about, right? It's like yes. the the instantaneous group description fails, so. 
Yeah. So that that's a start, but but maybe we have other things that we can build on. Definitely. Um, the, well, the first thing I'll say is that the majority of the people that have responded to my my piece see race in terms of racial Bolshevism. Mm -hmm. They're thinking as Darwinists. So they'll see identical physiognomy or a similar physiognomy, and then they'll equivocate that with race. That's not how it works in the majority of the worlds where actual race wars have happened, <laughs> like Rwanda. Um, and like in Europe, when we had the race wars called World War, well, well, World Race War One and World Race War Two. <laughs> so... we, no, we should make that. A, we should make that a thing, right? World yeah. Race War One and World Race War Two. French versus Germans, yeah. or British I mean, versus Germans. Huh? Anglo-Saxons on yeah. one side and Saxons on the other. I mean, it's 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 about the same as as the the. Well, I can't. I remember what the groups are in Rwanda until I have to say them out loud. Hutus and Tutsi. And right. Tutsis, yeah. yeah, and they are related, or they're separate. They're not. They're are they as close as um, French and Germans or English and Germans? Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Um. They'll speak. Uh, I mean, they will speak Kirwanda, but the. I mean, the tribal history. I'm not very like I'm not very deeply familiar with Rwandan tribal right. history. Uh, I can tell you what I got told by the the uh, Rwandan soldier, the eight foot Rwandan soldier who dragged me up a volcano when we were tracing gorillas in the middle of the jungle and, and stepping in gorilla shit. Oh, actually, <laughs> and he animal gave me gorillas, a... not people gorillas. Okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he was good fun. Uh, we had great chat. Very, uh, very lovely man, and uh, he'd been, you know, sent all over Africa for different things, and. Uh, then another friend of mine who's a, a Greek expat, you know, because the Greeks have been in Africa forever. Mm. So he was in Burundi during the during the genocide, and uh, he had some stories about uh, friends of his that uh, didn't have limbs left and all sorts of things going on. So I've spoken to people that lived through that experience directly, and then I've also spent time with them enough to understand what their conceptions of race are and how uh the people there really don't see it in terms of color they see it in terms of tribe right. or uh your language group um and then your religion and the 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 idea of like um <sighs> europeans that are re reacting to an article like mine or having a discussion about race forgetting that um europe itself is a racial patchwork in the same way that Africa is a racial patchwork, they're missing out on all the elements that would contribute to these kinds of conflicts that are ethnic conflicts. I'm not saying they're not ethnic, but they're not racial. So in somewhere like Rwanda, you've got a country with tribal tensions and it gets cranked up mm -hmm. and it was very purposefully cranked up and the media were involved in this because, uh, you know, as, we, as we've studied with the McLuhan and his insights on the power of radio, mm -hmm. radio hits the tribal feeling very, very deeply. And Africa was a radio continent, and uh, the, the radio stations in Rwanda were responsible for the genocide because they were, um, they were stoking all the ethnic tension. To get everybody so... Uh, so tense to the point where they thought that they needed to go and kill their neighbours. So... Um, yeah, it, it works differently. In sub-Saharan Africa, ethnicity works differently than the way that the people on the internet that have responded to this article are describing. Mm -hmm. And when they say it's Africans versus Europeans, they don't really understand what they're talking about. And I wanted to explain why.
Uh, but it's going to take some time and a little bit of patience from everybody because uh, this is not a um, it's not an enlightenment perspective on things. So the uh, so we need so we need some more history, is what you're saying. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. We okay. have to we have to go back further than seven days ago. <laughs> yes, right, exactly, and and even and even seventy years ago. Right. Yes. Um. Yep. Pre race war pre-world race war one pre-world pre race war one as as you're just as another so yeah. one we have to say what you said about the radio in africa is very important we just ran a search mm -hmm. in my department for an african historian and i i think i mentioned this on one of our streams that one of the talks was about the radio and the significance mm -hmm. of the radio in kenya i believe i forgot yeah. i've forgotten the talks but the 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 um colleague we've hired works on the military regimes of post-colonial africa um, and the one of the great takeaways that I have from his work already is many of those people were trained in um, Sandhurst or the, the equivalent in, in Britain, right? They're actually militarily trained as English. So <laughs> the, the, the kind of, you know, sort of intermixing one, you're, we're saying that the, you know, the, the ethnicities and the tribes and the nations and the languages are much more complicated in sub-Saharan Africa than most people know in, in, mm -hmm the north um but likewise the colonial experiences of you know belgium and the congo and england and kenya and and zimbabwe and the french in algeria and the italians not in ethiopia because they got kicked they didn't win <laughs> um all that that you know europe has europe has created a, a a complexity in africa's relationship with europe that again people tend not to be talking about so maybe you're going to tell us something about francis yes <laughs> yeah okay all right um, so i got i got a guy here yeah. i got a guy here and he's 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 in a red jacket and he's got some fluffy black hair and ruddy cheeks oh yeah who is he that's my boy that's Alexander Dumas. Wait, you mean like three Musketeers? Dumas? Dumas? I... One for all and all yeah. for one? Wait, that's a French story, isn't it? It is. Because he's French. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm so confused. Well, I'm going to mispronounce probably everything that's French in this because I can't say French things, which is embarrassing. That's okay. I can't either. We just we just say them in, in, in endearing accents and, and pretend that... I'm yes, going okay. to Australize everything. So uh, this is Alexander Dumas, and um, I focused on him. He was my, he was my, he was my anchor for this article. Um, I love his stories, and he's quite a wonderful storyteller but the, the the interesting thing about his perspective is that Dumas comes from a uh, a family that represent the French colonial vending machine so mm. I've talked a lot about the vending machines vending machine people what is a vending machine it's an imperial system an imperial power we have the Anglosphere as a vending machine France had its own francophone vending machine. France became an empire that started up colonies all over the place, not just in Africa. And so Alexander Dumas, his family are, uh, are colonials. They're people that have gone outside of the national border of France to serve or, um, or trade within this French vending machine. 
And in the process of leaving the borders of France, what we would now recognize as modern France, uh, blended with people beyond the the, the national you border. You say blended. French nation. Blend. How do you blended. How do you blend? blend. Married. Ooh, do you really? Okay, now we have yeah. we have the full well, set. Maybe of them. not even married. Their family. But the, the, the family Dumas. Yeah. They they blend, yes. do they? Is that like they rub off and turn different colors? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I believe there's a lot of French kisses that happened before. <laughs> and you know, uh in a previous in a French. in a previous uh so I say our my my department has um, d done Africa history searches several times, and one of my previous colleagues was working on. Is Gambia one of the French colonies? Is that right? Gambia or French I Guinea? So, yeah. That no Guinea definitely. Yeah. It, well, anyway, the, on in on the on the the west coast, and one of the things she talked about was, in fact, the way in which the the um, local um, women marry the French. Yes, that could happen. And that they, I mean, and, and, well, and in her account, they actually, you know, they set up families and they're, they are um, after, you know, it, it's, it's so complicated to say, look at the Europeans trying to quote, bring civilization and radios and roads and things like that into Africa, mm -hmm. but th that they also, you know, partake, they participate in the culture in Africa. And also you would say, is it in Haiti or where is Dumas? ancestors from yes what what's called uh what's called Haiti yeah. now um no but this was this was always part of colonialism like people don't uh don't really think about colonialism beyond british colonialism that's been my big pet beef with this whole discussion so now we're talking about french colonialism but the colonialism started in ancient ancient worlds colonialism is mesopotamian it's literally city-states trying to become empires by taking over other city-states mm -hmm. it happened all over the place. Then you build an empire, then you start gobbling up other city-states and boom, you've got a colony. And the Greeks did the same thing. When the Greeks started to send out, um, send Greeks out, uh, I mean, Greeks just did it themselves. It wasn't like a formal thing of, uh, you know, like uh, the British crown saying, all right, well, we're going to start, start a formal colony somewhere. Greeks just ran all over the place, jumped in a boat, went YOLO to the other side of the Mediterranean. And the men were the ones doing this. They left the women at home. Well, when you arrive in a new place and you're starting up a colony, where are you going to get your women from? <laughs> you got to go native. Well, Paris tried so stealing Helen from, men, from what's his name? I mean, sometimes you steal them from other men. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> like the Romans did with but the Sabine went... women, famously, right? They have yeah. the Aeneas has yeah. shown up from from Troy and has no women, and so they steal some. That's a polite way of putting it. <laughs> Stealing rape is that is that we can can we use that yeah. as me seizing right? So they take the Sabine yes. women. Yeah, they just took them. It was really gives me that, like Roman style. Mm -hmm. They just took all their women because they didn't have any women. Because at the time, Rome was, you know, a village and they needed women to populate Rome. So they saw some babes across the <laughs> across the seven hills and decided to take them. And that was it. And then the children became Roman. There wasn't a, a consideration of uh, where the women came from. It was where's your father from, mm. you know, uh, paternity, patriarchy, the paternal line. So um, something very similar happened in the Dumas family, which is where I, I started the piece. 
to consider what happens first off when a when a nation becomes an empire it breaks its national boundaries because it has to send people outside of the national boundaries so once a french person leaves france and then they're moving outside into a colony there's a really interesting problem there because are you really dealing with a nation anymore or are you dealing with empire once that happens then you're going into a territory of dumas family politics which changes everything um and that's why i wanted to settle the thought of france and being french in the mindset of alexander dumas because i think his mentality was is the the best way of clarifying the problems that are going on now in france okay so um, you you you, and, you said something yeah. about his grandfather Yes. Oh, his father. father. Yeah, it was his father. So Dumas' father, um, the same name. It's a big, long French name. Yeah, and and, and, his, and Alexander Dumas' son is this, are they all the same names? It's like there's. I think they're just photocopy. <laughs> anyway, one Dumas after the other. No, not really. And 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 the first yeah. one, the one on the horse, is somewhat darker. I mean, and and of course, and Dumas himself, yes. you know. If, if, Depends on, I mean, it's interesting having photographs and saying whether or not they look dark, right? But Dumas was considered, we would now consider him black, yes. In America, he would be considered yeah. black. Yeah. Uh, again, because racial politics change depending on the vending machine you're dealing with. But in the American vending machine, he would be considered black. Uh, in the Arabian vending machine, that would depend on his religion. Mm. Um, and then, you know, in the French colonial vending machine, we have different rules again. So the, the father Dumas, uh, he is born in one of the French colonies, which is now called Haiti. His mother was a slave concubine that was acquired by the family. Um, this again is something that I think is going to make people very uh, uncomfortable on whatever side of the political spectrum you're on. But uh, she was purchased by the French family and then Alexander Dumas Senior's father had a child. So. That was his mother, Dumas' mother. It's his mother. Was a slave. Yeah, Dumas. She was a slave. So yeah. you're you're telling me that the the Frenchman who's responsible for such classics as Ooh, the Count of Monte Cristo, which Jim Cavazil played in, right? Yes. And the Three Musketeers, which everyone use uses typically as an image of you know banding together as knightly or not doing swordsman warriors, although they're musketeers. So why would they, mm -hmm. they, they why did they have swords? Who knows? Was a son of a slave. He was the grandson of grandson a slave. Grandson of a yeah. slave. Yeah, that's why I say it's like yeah. his grandfather. So, okay, never mind. I've lost. No, sorry. Dumas, the, the author, is but, the grandson of a, of a slave. Yes, right. yes. That was his grandmother. Got it. His paternal grandmother. Which um, he knew. He she, knew this? Yes, he Did knew. Did he deny yeah. it? No. Interesting. No. <laughs> It is interesting. It is very interesting. So he, he he's writing these grand French epics with full knowledge of who his grandmother was. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Interesting. Um, Glorifying France, this, you might say. Yeah. I'm just going to rub this in until you guys pay attention to what she <laughs> no, said. No, I know. I'm enjoying it, actually. <laughs> No, it's like it's it's um, it's, it's, it's like I think this came up. We were talking about Bridgerton a few episodes a bazillion ago, right? It's like this this problem of I I've been thinking about this now too. The degree to which somehow I don't know. Sometime in the early twentieth century, Europe whitewashed itself from its own past, yeah, it did. so that you can see in its yeah. art and and in you know family relations of of the you know the great you know ex period of European expansion how mixed it all was indeed mm -hmm. and we it's like we've this, this amazing amnesia thanks to i'm not sure what that even your european it's like um i i learned this when we were doing our kanye west episodes that his mother wanted to do a a, a course on pushkin because pushkin was one of these child child or grandchild of former slave in russia okay. yeah so there's a bunch of them and we think of them as quote european yeah. And and often, you know, the the great writers, the great you know creators of European culture have these yes. mixed lineages. Yeah, it's a it's fascinating, uh, and it's not tokenistic because uh, this is more common than people would like to admit. Right. Um, if you're a colonial and you're outside of a motherland, which is what we are down here in Australia, this is far more common than people are willing to talk about. I think it's because of Darwin, uh, personally. Ah, I think Charles Darwin is yes, responsible for yes, this. Yes, yes, yes. That, that would time it correctly. That suddenly people are worrying about idiotic fractions. Yes, yes, yes exactly. Yes. Racial fractions become a part of the Darwinist mentality because they believe in blood quantum, which is something I've posted about on my channel. But Australasians, like uh, Maori people from New Zealand and Australian Aboriginals don't believe in blood quantum. Mm. They believe in tribal... Um, lineage and it's not just them i mean this is this was common in europe also i mean it's 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 also the arabian mentality you don't believe in blood quantum you believe in paternal lineage right. uh the jewish uh jewish people do the same thing with the matriarchal lineage they believe in a maternal line if you have a jewish mother and a um a goy father a non-jewish father your class is a jew if your father is jewish and your mother is a goy then you are not considered a jew so these kinds of racial inheritances change depending on the culture and the nation or the tribe that you're dealing right. with. And this is a flexibility that is not allowable within a Darwinist system because they believe in blood quantum and racial fractions. Once this was introduced, it was weaponized against the colonial subjects of the British Empire. And the English did this very, very famously against the Irish, yep. who were, according to Charles Darwin, below the Negro. So for anybody on the internet who wants to have a conversation about Negroid blood being infused into the European populations, they have to deal with the fact that the Irish were considered below Negroes at one time. This is so, no, our joke earlier about the World War One and World War Two being race wars is totally accurate. It really, they was. really were because they yeah. eugenics wars. Yeah, I mean, yes. obviously the Second World War was, and everybody knows that. Um, but that they, the, it, it only works within this kind of quote scientific mythology yeah yeah if you if you treat the human uh if you treat the human experience as a laboratory and suddenly everything becomes empirical and everything becomes a consideration of measurement and control mm -hmm. 
then this is what you get. Um, this is not Catholic. Right. So tell, tell, tell us more about the, the general and, and who he was. Okay. And then he's, he's got a very interesting predecessor that you, you pointed us to as well, which I, as a medievalist, am horrifically embarrassed to say I never paid attention to. Thank you. My, <laughs> my pigeon has now become Yay! my teacher. <laughs> she has come. She I finally has... said something she doesn't already no, know. It's like you, I, no, no I the thing is, no, even better than that. It's not just something oh. I didn't already know. Cause you know, lots of stuff about Australia. You show me something I didn't know about my own territory. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh. it's, it's, it's <laughs> boys and girls. This is what should happen. Your, your, your students should teach you stuff that you should have known. It's brilliant. Anyway, but it's good it's, fun. It's good no, fun. No, seriously, I was like this. I'm reading it going, oh, she's nailed it. It's great. Oh, my God. <laughs> A plus. Plus, 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 plus. Well, I mean, I don't know the world through um, formal education. I knew, I know the world through wandering through it. And, yeah. the, and I think this is possibly why I, like, pick up on things because I just noticed them as I was wandering through, you know? Uh, I was hitchhiking on the back of motorcycles in Rwanda and talking to people about the genocide. I mean, for me, right. for me, this was like, this is naturally how we think uh, oral history. Right. You know, I ask people what's going on. And so um, I did the same thing when I was in Europe and kind of wandering around, noticing things and seeing, okay, there's another town called St. Maurice. First, first, finish telling okay, us about sorry. Dumai. Now, now I've got to okay. keep you on track. Yeah, you have to. You have to. You have to. <laughs> so, <laughs> tell, tell us about no. Dumas, Dumas' dad, and and how okay. amazing it is that he did what he did, and that will then prepare them for the amazingness of Samaritans. Okay. Okay. So Dumas Senior, he is born in Haiti. He's born in the colony. And his father decides that he wants to bring him back to the motherland, France, to be educated and integrated properly into French society. Because, <laughs> I mean, uh, Americans may not know this, but uh, when you're still like formally a colonial subject of an imperial power, there is a sense of being inferior to the motherland. You know, Australians are kind of like the retarded offspring of Great Britain. <laughs> we don't know anything about British society whatsoever. Our accent is wonky. We don't really speak English properly. We have no conception, no understanding of the civilization that created this place. Like none. Well, we're we're so, colony too. That that we just we just have so much hubris that we've tried to pretend that we don't. You have that party that you throw every year that denies it. Anyway. It, it I, um, I I watched so I when I was when I was I had a occasion to get to watch not the fireworks this time but the the CNN version of the fireworks for hours. They went on for hours. I had no idea this fireworks in Washington, D.C. went on for a whole hour. And the and the ones in New York City went on even longer. And then they, you know, CNN was going on. I think we're in serious denial here if we have to have that many fireworks. Because <laughs> it really <laughs> felt like we were trying to convince ourselves of something. Mm, okay. So they want to come back to, they want to come back to the motherland and, and, and belong. Well, uh, if he raises his son in the colony, he's just going to be, uh, he's hes going to get as much education and, cult, uh, and cultural exposure to France as, as you can in a colony, which is limited. So he takes his son, Alexander, and they move to France. He takes him back to France. Then he's educated and then 
um, integrated properly into the French society. This is where it gets really interesting. But he's got dark this skin. Boy, he looks like a, he looks like a cast member at Bridgerton. Oh, he's very dumb. Yeah. <laughs> this is the dad, right? Not the not yet this the is, author. This is the dad as a young man. This is his father. Yeah. yeah the dad. The dad is a young man. No, he's not high yellow. He's not passing. He's very very dark. <laughs> Uh, with his with his West African descent uh, descended uh, slave mother, yep. you know, he's very black. Oh, really? Yeah. So apparently, this doesn't hinder him whatsoever in France. <laughs> <laughs> and this is so really you can dress part. right and have a proper Parisian accent. You're fine. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, he dressed so well. You know, he put on a uniform Ooh. for France. And then rose through the ranks of the French military and uh, ended up running the thing. My goodness! <laughs> Diversity in the a... army! No, wait. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm really confused. Um, well, there was no affirmative action. Ah. This was, not a, this was not a charitable thing. This was not an extension of pity on somebody who needed a leg up because of his dark skin tone. The French at that point in time were completely disinterested in that kind of nonsense because they had an empire to run. They wanted men with capacity uh, and um, ability, and they had a military that ran on merit. But Alexander Dumas Senior was the best of the best. He ended up running the army. So this is a fascinating plot twist of this film. <laughs> because we've got the son of a slave who's running the French army. Ooh, Apparently no trick. one cares. Apparently nobody cares because the French aren't saying that they don't want to follow him at all. Right. They're willing to follow him all over the Mediterranean. Following his orders being told what to do, being screamed at, apparently had a bit of a Gordon Ramsay personality and used to fight with everybody, including <laughs> Napoleon, who he's recorded as having a fight with. And Napoleon had so much respect for him, he called him the, oh, I forget the surname, so my memory now, but uh, the Horatio Cockley's of the Tyrol, I think it was, this this phrase, this this way of basically saying... He was comparable to this ancient Roman mm. who saved Rome from destruction. That's how important Alexander Dumas Senior was to Napoleonic France. Uh, the Austrians feared him. He was incredibly restricted, uh, incredibly respected um, military strategist. They called him the Black Devil. Now, this is not politically correct. We're dealing with a time period where we're not using euphemisms over people's appearance. Right and couching it in soft language. He was called the Black Devil, but it was a mark of respect. He had, uh, he had, the, he had the, the allegiance uh, that he needed within the army to do what he needed to do. And so he was sent all over the Mediterranean, uh, Egypt, the Levant. Um, and people didn't get confused Greece there because he was black and-, and, and... No. Yeah. Interesting. No. Apparently, French manners, language, and a uniform were sufficient to mark him as French. Cool. <laughs> Okie dokie. Wait, I mean, it's yeah. like the famously racist French. I'm, I'm really confused now. It's very confusing. I did. I did. So uh, I actually have a colleague who has worked on Haiti in this period. And I, yeah. I did. I, I confess to you, I sent him the article. He has not yet responded. I think he's on, on holiday or something like that. But we're going to, we're, there'll be okay. footnotes. Right. But thus right. far, 
everything that Kiltz is saying fits with what I know from my own, like I keep, you know, footnoting myself saying this matches what, you know, proper historians understand about this period. Guys. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I know they had the code noir and I didn't want to get into yeah. that because for me, I'm not thinking in color. I'm thinking in paternity. I think in lineage. So I'm not interested in what they were doing with the other quote unquote black French. I'm looking at how a French man integrates his black son into France and creates such a giga Chad that this boy ends up running the French army. This is what fascinated me about the story. There was no, um, there, there was no hang up in Alexander Dumas's mind that the French had enslaved his mother. Mm. His mother was a slave concubine that he needed to somehow get back at France. Nothing. He served it. So this was a really fascinating thing. Uh, And then I sort of wanted to to look more at how the family functioned, but also think, okay, well, this is the man who gave birth to Alexander Dumas, the novelist. And what that would have, well, he didn't give birth to him, obviously the wife did, but he married a French woman. Mm -hmm. Again, wasn't considered race mixing. He just married another French mm-hmm. person. And his son becomes a novelist who really defines French storytelling for, for quite some time. And then well, I'm to thinking, this day, okay, so, I mean, it's, there's, there's yeah. Dumas, there's Victor Hugo, but it's like, who else, right? It's, 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 they are, and, I, I was reading a novel called The Club Dumas, which I think we talked about in some other context because Johnny Depp is in the movie. Well, anyway, um, Dumas wrote a, an astonishing number of novels, right? Five in the year that he published Three Musketeers or something like that. I mean, it's like ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. He, 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 he had helpers and, you know, ghostwriters and partners and things like that, but he was incredibly prolific. So he just defined French storytelling for the 19th century and hugo is is of that same you know practice in terms of of his prolific i'm not sure hugo is quite as prolific but they're doing this in the period in which france is defining itself through story and it's dumas doing it and his you know father was the son of a slave yeah 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 which is amazing french french identity has been um formed by that kind of mind or maybe it hasn't maybe they don't read Dumas anymore maybe that's the problem (laughs) well maybe that's the problem (laughs) so um why not reading Dumas why are they not reading okay Um, now now you can tell us about I'll bring my next this man who in 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 he's in armor and he's got this garland on his head but he's definitely black this is a 16th century painting I think This, this is oh, this is yeah. the, Sorry. the great uh, the great the... image. Who is who is this black man in armor talking to a bishop? This is one of our most beloved saints. Ours meaning uh the Copts, obviously, mm. but in in the world at the time that he was marching in that armor, there were no schismatic distinctions between the apostolic Catholic Church. This is Saint Maurice of Thebes. Mm. Thebes, uh, Saint Thebes Maurice, which, which Thebes? Thebes of Egypt. Thebes of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Not yes. Thebes of Greece. 
no. Thebes of Egypt. No. Thebes of Egypt. Um, Represented as black. So. In a yes, European painting. Because. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. can you hear the sounds of the heads exploding? <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, yeah, tell us, yeah. please. And this is this is where I got wash, like wash the there, brain okay, off the wall. No, so this is hilarious, and I do want to nail this down for you all. How cool this is, right? Mm -hmm. There are lots of saints in Europe, and I have studied. I mean, this is like this is this is what kilts has achieved. All right, I have the the very first you know, graduate level class I had with my dissertation advisor was on hagiography, right? On the stories of the saints. The study of the saints in my field is a huge deal, right? I, I, you know, I've been trained by people that did local studies of very particular saints. I've been, I've read, okay, I work on St. Mary, but the, you know, that's my, Mary was always a little bit outside of this particular, like these are historical people who have cults of, of, of you know, veneration, and and liturgy through you know throughout european medieval history and somehow i never paid attention to this one <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because he's black i just didn't realize saint mauritius of thebes was actually a little bit important <laughs> in in the european imagination please please tell us mm -hmm. Here, let's go. Well, let's well, go to the earliest represent. I did know this this particular sculpture. This is a Magdeburg Cathedral, and he's definitely black in this one. Oh, he's very black. Yes, this is in Germany. Uh, very this is, black. I love this. This is in Germany, <laughs> which by the twentieth century will be Isn't worried about. Oh my goodness, being blonde, <laughs> right? This is this is a Magdeburg Cathedral in Germany. It's from the mid thirteenth century, earliest you know full representation. But that's also when sculpture becomes like this kind of figural level of of detail. Um, please tell us about Maurizio. So I'm going to, I'm going to like play with my, okay. my setup here, make him bigger. Just a sec. Keep talking. I'm going to make him bigger Maurice, for you guys. Saint yes. Maurice. Um, so the name has two competing, uh, origins. You know, people have said that it means slightly different things. They think it comes from the Greek meaning black, Ma Mauron, Mauron, but, um, it doesn't matter. So it doesn't, Egypt it, it is doesn't different. matter because in the Middle Ages they thought that was the etymology, right? So that yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. By the 13th so, century uh, when they make the sculpture, that's what they think his name means black. Yeah, it's like it's basically like if we called somebody Negro and we said Saint Negro. Mm -hmm. So etymologically, it's basically the exact same right. thing. So this is why I was like. Oh, wow. Okay. Europeans, you guys need to remember what you use. Yeah, but this is even better than just having a black saint on your cathedral. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Maurice, he came from St. Maurice. He came from an area of Egypt called Thebes. Now, everyone says, oh, this is, this is blackwashing. The Egyptians aren't black. They've been really angry with the Netflix Cleopatra because they've made her black and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So... For everyone out there who needs to understand this, Egypt is Egypt. Egypt is not black. Egypt is not white. Egypt is mm. Egypt. It's its own thing. You can have an Egyptian who looks like I do in terms of like high, pasty, like porcelain looking person. And you can have an Egyptian who looks like St. Maurice. It depends on the region that they're from in Egypt. It depends on if they're from lower or upper Egypt and different towns will have, uh, you know, various uh tones of egyptians normal very normal in the ancient world so saint maurice he comes from a 
place called, which was renowned for having very dark skinned population. An entire legion of soldiers were taken from Thebes uh, that were called the Theban Legion that he was captain of. The reason for this is because they were Christians and this was during the era of the Diocletian persecution. There was an, a Roman emperor, a European Roman emperor called He's Diocletian. He's actually Yugoslavian. A, I think Diocletian came well, from Split, right? His palace is in, is in Split, so. Split. I said there's a funniest um, place name. <laughs> it's just weird, isn't it? I come from Split. Uh, well, he hated Christianity, he hated Christians. So he ordered this uh, this legion to leave Egypt and to serve in the Roman uh, military. They were ordered to march all over Europe. They ended up getting sent to Gaul. Gaul is what is now known as France. So Maurice and his boys are renowned military men, the very pious the Romans uh, understand this. So as they're marching, they're being asked to make sacrifices to Roman deities. As they're marching, they're, they're suddenly asked to demonstrate their loyalty to Caesar over Christ. The Theban Legion, being African Egyptian Christians, refuse because their primary uh, allegiances to Christ. It was not to the emperor. And so they said, you know, they would render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and they will render unto God what is God's. So they refused. The Romans, in response to their refusal to make their sacrifices to Roman gods, decided that they were going to decimate the legion. Um, decimation was a practice in Rome where every 10th soldier in a legion was killed until everybody decided to obey orders. So the legion was decimated. They still refused. The legion were decimated again. Uh, this kept happening until they were all dead. And the entire legion, including St. Maurice, uh, gained their crowns of martyrdom, refusing to bow to Rome. Now, and also, I also, think I think in one of the stories I read, refusing to kill Christians. They were they were brought into yes. to put down Christian rebels and they refused that as well yes yes they wanted to serve rome to be able to protect other christians within rome they refused to uh kill fellow christians and so their ultimate allegiance was to christ now this is something that you know the the people on the internet looking at the french situation are, would find very confusing we have european romans that are um slaughtering Christians from Africa. The roles are reversed mm -hmm. here in this story. Mm -hmm. Always doing a race war. And for Christians now in this era, it would be a very shocking thing to realize that at that time, the, 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 Christian, uh, the Christian soldiers were the Africans, you know, they were the ones carrying Christianity through the, the Alps. They were the ones carrying Christ through Europe. As Rome was trying to extinguish it from the uh, from the empire there, so Saint Maurice he gained martyrdom and he gained uh, he gained the, that crown and it impressed Europe so much that 
he became a very important saint uh, for for Europe when considering its identity as a Christian place. Um, oh, really? So, so, so this is yes. Not, see, this is yeah. the thing is, I think, I think if that kind of story, it's like yes, during the Diocletian persecution, and of course, there's lots of people slaughtered and stuff, and. The Theban Legion is one of these collectives of martyrs, and yeah, okay, of course. Yeah? Mm. Tell us about this sword. Nah. <laughs> this is where it gets really good. <laughs> so he's a soldier who refuses to mm -hmm. worship the, you know, refuses to worship the Roman deities and refuses to kill Christians. And so he's honored as, and we saw in the Magdeburg image, I'll go back to that for a second. He's in, yeah. in, in the Magdeburg image, he's in male, right? So he's, he's a soldier, right? Yeah. But there's this sword of his. This is, this is where, this is yeah. th this point where I just die of shame for not knowing this. All right. <laughs> Cause uh, you know, mere, mere Diocletian level martyrs are, you know, a dime of a, a decimal. Well, there were a lot yeah, of there's them. There's a lot of them. I mean, it wasn't. They stole yeah, them in the Merovingian, uh, the Carolingian period, and you know what? Einhard brought a few up to Ach or his own private chapel and stuff. You know, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you say you died during the Diocletian persecutions, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, buddy, join the yeah, club. Yeah, there's a you big know, club like, of we're... them. That's how, but that's how bad it's... it was, right? It was really yeah. And bad. Golden Legends is full of them, so of course I ignored it. However, this sword. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> um, okay, so basically Maurice now, he, he, he's, he spilled his blood on European soil. Now, us Copts, we say the church is watered by the blood of mm. the martyrs. We consider martyrdom to be the, 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 uh, the nourishment of Christ's church. It's not the end. This is how it grows. The more Christ is persecuted, the more he takes over. The more the church is persecuted, the more the church grows. So where the Theban legion lost their lives, European soil, their blood springs a cult, you know, uh, of, uh, of veneration. And Europe wants to give its homage to St. Maurice for showing them Christ because that's what he did. So you start to see churches popping up everywhere. You start to see different towns being called St. Maurice or Moritz or Maurizio, you know, depending on the local language and culture. And his cult grows and it's traveling all the way through Europe and it goes everywhere. This is what you where, noticed where, when you were traveling around, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because one of my um, uh, one of my grandparents' name is Maurice. So uh, the French have not lost this homage. And we... We're kind of wandering around Europe doing what we're doing. And then, you know, you start to notice after a while, like, wow, they really liked this guy. <laughs> Why? So where this story gets really interesting. It's like, it's like noticing particular... lots of places are called St. Peter's, right? It's, it's, it's like the, yeah. that, that's what yeah. you write. You, that's what you talk about in the article. It's like, it's what 650, according to the Wikipedia that I did read now, like 650 convents. It's, it's, it, there's a lot of dedications to Marines. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just a local phenomenon around the area that he was Right, which in. is typical of, of a lot of those early 
early stories. Like you, you'll get a local yeah. cult. Santubaldo and Gubbio, for example, who was later. But anyway, it's like, and again, that's why I, that's why it was my mistake thinking, oh, Maritz, he's just a number of, of other saints. You're not telling about the sword. You're teasing us now. Sorry, I'm getting there. So, okay. So she's, she's have... saving it up because it's so cool. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just love it. It's just so funny. It's so funny. God has a very good oh, sense yes. of humor. So they have relics. Of this is basically Excalibur, you guys, you realize. This is like this mm -hmm. is like finding Excalibur and finding out you're in the presence of, you know, Arthur's sword. Yep. They have his sword. They have St. Maurice's sword. Who is they? Okay. Well, Christian Europe has retained his relics and shuffled them around and, you know, they find different locations to settle in. But there's a very interesting point at which Europeans that are building the Holy Roman Empire decide to <laughs> take the sword of St. Maurice and use it as their primary sign of Christian authority in Europe. And That's the emperor so of the Holy Roman Empire <laughs> is given St. Maurice's sword to wield. <laughs> <laughs> to signify his authority now this is guys you know guys name. this is like when <laughs> king charles was just crowned and he's got like fancy regalia mm -hmm. and stuff because he's symbolizing his continuity with this right it's like this is the excalibur mm -hmm. of the holy roman empire i'm dying yeah Imagine you pulling the sword out of the stone. It's that level of like mythological uh, pump, yeah. right? This is the Austro-Hungarian yeah. Empire. When we're talking about, you know, World War One that destroyed it, right? This empire, yes. that one. Yeah. yeah. Poor Austro-Hungarian. Saint sword. <laughs> That's why he's on the cathedral at Magdeburg. He's the yeah. like Dumas general, father of France in the 19th century yes. as the general Moritz, the father of the Holy Roman Empire. I'm dying. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Roman Empire saw itself as the inheritors of St. Maurice's mission to protect Christians. He was their guy. He is the patron of Holy Europe. You cannot have the Holy Roman Empire without the sword of St. Maurice. Whoever holds that sword authority it's intimately connected with his martyrdom so i was looking at this and i was thinking hold on a second they're doing <laughs> they're doing what i was doing this is i'm showing them some others like here this is the the very very black maurice in uh in gold in his, in his oh outfit. yeah yeah and here's another one of him with his banner and his shield and armor Okay, now we're now we're now we're to the who the he isn't, right? But this is Morinstrasse. Every single one of these Moritz. I'm back at the sword now. Yes. This is how important it is. It's it's it's. It, I mean, what I'm saying, you guys, it's like the Arthurian legend for for the the German Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, the central great Habsburg Empire, the great enemy of the Ottomans and of England. Yes this this it's is just, this is so rich you, you know isn't it amazing <laughs> so 
like if you're looking at what's going on now in Europe and you're just thinking in colors, if you're thinking in skin colors, you are going to be so retarded that you don't even understand Europe. Right. The it's funny, I'm looking at a book in front of me now. It's the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. But the Gibbon? Yes, yeah. Gibbons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Famous English um, myth mythology. <laughs> enlightened, very enlightened. The, 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 but Maurice is a part of the mythology of Europe. So you've got Germanic people picking up his sword and saying that we are going to follow him in his uh in his hagiography in his uh sainthood the the idea of of taking his relic is like taking him along with you on the on the right on the mission of what you're uh, trying to achieve so i i was I was looking at this and I was thinking if the Holy Roman Empire had this relic, if, if, if the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire wielded the sword of St. Maurice at one time. God, we're going to rub this in Saint... really, really hard to yeah, all you guys who worry about Germany over and over and over being white, okay? The Holy Roman yeah. Empire, Germany, had St. Maurice as its, and, and this was, I, I, I can't remember whether it was in your article or when I read it in the Wikipedia entry, it's in the Wikipedia entry, that not only, they have the sword and it's it's their coronation emblem for centuries. Mm -hmm. And they know he's black because they keep portraying him that way in their cathedrals. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was never hidden. Right. Uh, it was emphasized because of his origin. Right. They emphasized it. Um, so it's not just one emperor that gets coronated like this. This this is a generational thing over and over and over and over again. So it's like a record playing. Every time there's a coronation, we remember Saint Maurice. Every time there's a coronation, people are thinking, okay, what did Saint Maurice do? Why is he so important? Right. Why are we invoking him? Why do we want his patronage? It was his blood and the blood of the Theban Legion that they were asking for help, to help them to do what they were going to do. Which I find fascinating to think about that this cult of St. Maurice was just everywhere. It was ubiquitous in Europe. Everywhere you go, there's something to do with St. Maurice. If you really look for it, you'll find him. Well, yeah, He's this there. is the, you had one of the street signs, the Morenstrasse. Right? Yes. And, and, it, and so I, then I started, because you made me aware of this, and I didn't run at least the Golden Legend in the Wikipedia entry, these particularly in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Because they had to cross the Alps, and right. the Swiss developed a, a particular fondness for... Uh, and, and the for, Duchy of Savoy is, is, has him as their patron. I mean, it's it's just yes. it's pow it's um, you guys look it up it's really powerful it's astonishing she's right that it's more, much more present than and it's just been forgotten right talk about you know whitewashing yep. on I mean people don't remember what happened seven days ago in <laughs> France on uh, you know France on fire <laughs> imagine trying to explain this to people this was this was what Europe was doing right. everywhere right. without any shame without worrying about being called Afrocentric, without being worried about uh, being called anti-European liberals. European Catholics were all about 
black saint from Egypt, Saint Maurice, his veneration and invoking him to help them to be better Christians. And so looking at that, looking at how um, he was everywhere and how people just forgot about him, then my mind started to tick over. I'm thinking, okay, so how do we get from a Europe where the Holy Roman Emperor is wielding the sword of Saint Maurice and he's everywhere to a France that is now burning down because we've got import French versus native French and everybody is thinking it's Africa versus Europe Mm -hmm. and this is a race war and this is it. And it made no sense to me. And then I started to think about, okay, what happened with the Dumas family? Why did they integrate so well that the Dumas family defined French, uh, defined the French story in the 19th Mm -hmm. century? And it's because of this thing that France used to have (laughs) and Europe used to have it that they threw away. It's called homage. Mm. So um, homage is is a term like you know uh a lot of like a lot of things comes out of uh, a cultural practice that is it it no longer exists but homage was when serfs would swear allegiance to a feudal actually no that a, that was where what, i had to i no it? it's it's it, serfs didn't do it it's it's vassals so it's it's actually vassals, only okay. it's yeah that serfs serfs are just slaves of the land or peasants um, that that vassals. vassals have vassals swear homage. So it actually does work with your argument. It's just okay. that little technical detail there. <laughs> okay. No, because vass- vassalage is, is is at the military level, right? It's it's it's. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, okay, so not serfs, not vassals. But the concept is that you swear allegiance to a higher authority, yes, and that you're giving over service willingly to somebody in exchange for protection and also for some kind of coherent structure of 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 running things you know um Dumas his father had to join a military and he had to give homage to his superior commanders until he rose through the ranks to become the head of the army and once he did then the soldiers under him were giving him their homage. That's how it works. It's about service. It's about recognizing authority and not trying to upend the order of authority just because you don't like the inequality of the hierarchy that you're in. Gee, that almost sounds like, hmm, what the French did, yeah. what the French did, hmm. <laughs> well, I think Dumas would have been very keenly aware of what happens when you throw homage out of the window. Because he lived, uh, he lived in post-Napoleonic uh, France. He was living at a, in a time where France had already had enough revolutionary problems that it caused a French identity crisis, mm. where the French didn't really know who to give homage to anymore. Because during the French Revolution. They got rid of that horrible they... feudalism stuff, which is what, I mean, mm-hmm. so homage comes out of the, it's vassalage and therefore the, the, the homage that the vassal gives to his liege. Yeah. yeah. 
they decided, the French had decided in the French Revolution that they no longer wanted to give homage to their king and they beheaded him. And then it was chaos all the way down. Um, so what I imagined when I was thinking about that was <laughs> like, who got you, will you so so we got we I've got another warrior guy here. He's he's got an axe and he's very decor, decoratively scarred because he's I think he's an actor, but you know. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and I don't know what movie this is from. <laughs> this is from a series called Vikings. Ooh, okay. So you're going to give us a contrast between what happens in Paris now with invaders and what mm -hmm. happens in Paris in the eight eighty eight. Yeah. Well, my least favorite population on planet Earth. <laughs> Vikings. How can you say that? Least... They're pirates. We're pirates. We'd be pirates. Come on. You don't like Vikings? Uh, Vikings are cool. I don't like Vikings. And, 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 you know, got long hair and braids. and <laughs> this, this man is very, like, fit with no shirt on. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, well, this was the production version, you know, he didn't have any missing limbs or fingers or like a missing eye. Or unlike unlike your friends, friends in Rwanda, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, the, exactly, the, I think exactly. these, these, these Viking guys were really good at slicing stuff off, <laughs> raiding monasteries, stealing people and, mm -hmm. oh, wait, selling them as slaves down south in the Mediterranean. Yes. They, even, they, even, they even set up a whole like yes. route through Eastern Europe eventually yep. that's why i don't like vikings <laughs> <laughs> so the, gee the word um, that we have for slave comes from hmm group in eastern europe who yeah, must have kind of looked pale and then we're being sold to people across the mediterranean oh by italians because the venetians and in a way okay i think we found some more history we found some more uh oh so <laughs> So um so now so now the, the 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 raiding pillaging barbarians are north Yeah the northmen the Norsemen uh the 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 Scandinavians Norsemen Nor Normans there fixed it for you Yeah <laughs> they 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 became Normans <gasps> eventually Wait I thought the Normans they were became French Normans. Well isn't that interesting? Mm. <laughs> so we've got Vikings that are uh, raping and rampaging their way all across Europe. Mainly and in France, right? It's a, mainly it's, in France, yes, yeah. They, the, the, they, and, and even yeah. so much, I think you had a nice drawing here. Okay, here, here. Here is a map of the Norman conquest. That's different. These, this is when the Normans take over England, right? But no, we have a picture here. Oh yes. no, that's Rollo. We'll get back to him. This one is what I'm looking for. When they, when they, and that castle was not there. <laughs> In 888, I don't even know what was when there. The, I was it's like, not. It, no, this, this, this drawing is hilarious and it's got like fire and stuff. But the Vikings <laughs> are coming up the Seine, and famously they attack Paris. Yeah. In 888. The Parisians managed to push them off, but they get all the way up to Paris, and it's like it's only a little island of a city up at that point, and the Vikings make it to Paris. Yep, they go all the way in there. <laughs> Pretty much um, Heartland, no right? It, if you guys know mm. any French geography, it, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of like 
a similar thing because we don't have inland cities mm. here, so it would be difficult to sort of give it a, a comparative to Australia. How about that? Cities Saint port Louis. cities. You made it all the way up the yeah. Mississippi to St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were not welcome. They were not liked. No one said, oh, look, there's our European neighbours. They've come to say hi. No. They They're were, the same they colour as us. Like, yeah, no one cared. <laughs> uh, so they, they plagued France for long enough. And then finally one of the Viking leaders, Rollo, back to him. decided to make a treaty with the French, uh, with the French French at the time who were the French. Uh, the French, the French, French barely that. exist. They basically had that little island that we had the the Viking sacking, right? It's like, <laughs> guys, France is the Ile de France, which is the royal territory for a lot of the early Middle Ages after Charlemagne's grandsons divide the territory up and then they are sacked by Vikings. And yes, I did. No, I don't think I, I think when I did my medieval history video, I did go into all of this, but it's complicated by the 11th century. Um, France is basically the the immediate region around Paris. There's not much of it left. And Rollo, we'll go back to Rollo. Here he is. Rollo, Rollo has made a has made a bargain with the French king to stop pillaging yeah. <laughs> part of his territory. Well, Rollo was in nine eleven. <laughs> go to the map now. Rollo just went YOLO and said, "All right, I'll become French or something." something no, more like, like it. more like the nor that that the the they just settled down. They just yes. stayed uh, <laughs> in northern France, which is now Normandy. Yep, yep. He converted. You guys to remember where Normandy is, right? It's where the Allies landed to go fight the Germans. Yep, yep. Uh, Rollo became Norman. He became what was then now known as Normans from Normandy. They settled. They took over that little region of France. And then 150 years later, took over England. So there you go. <laughs> but I thought this was hilarious. I thought it was really funny because we've got Scandinavians invading Europe in areas where previously we've had homage to St. Maurice, who's a black man from Egypt. And then it all just gets very, very complicated. You cannot think of these stories in terms of the 19th century borders of Europe because it hides all of it. Or the Darwinian you... claims about race. I think that that's that's yeah. an incredibly important point that you made, that, that if we want to date the yep. amnesia over this history, it's it's Darwinian. That makes sense. Yeah. Because this is, yep. this is um, you say, this is why I keep getting into so much trouble with my colleagues, particularly in the American history, because they're... One, most historians in the American history profession generally work on the 19th and 20th centuries, now 21st, right? It's like they just don't know medieval history or early modern history for that matter. And for them, race is a very real problem because of the language that develops in the late 19th century to talk about people. And so they're saying, how can you, how can you not know how awful this was? I'm like, well, one, because I'm not reading the texts you are in your context and because i don't see it in the stories that i'm reading because they're not worrying about it in yeah. the same terms they're worrying about normans well, sacking Darwin... their monasteries yeah. yeah well they didn't have a charles darwin right they didn't uh, europe hadn't been spoiled by darwinism yet um so the 
the way that I, you know, the reason I titled the article was, you know, it was uh, my homage to Ye mm-hmm. uh, for his uh-huh. song, Niggas in Paris. And I thought, what would that be? What would that look like to those people that long ago? Well, it wouldn't be Niggas in Paris. It'd be mm-hmm. Normans in Paris. That, the, the, that was their, like, racial conception at the time. It was invasion by barbarism an invasion by barbarians that were ransacking monasteries. And then that's their focus. That's their worry. That's their race war. Uh, the same the same way that the Holy Roman emperors are, are wielding the sword of St. Maurice as their as their patron and, and the cult that surrounded him and, and, and why that was. It's because they weren't thinking in race. They were thinking in sainthood. Yes. And so, I mean, also just as 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 a setup this- during, during this period, I I I, actually, I mean, my brother was starting to read about John Mandeville and Prester John. They're also ironically throughout the throughout the period, particularly in the twelfth century, expecting there to be a great Christian king on the opposite side of the Muslims, and they're perfectly expecting him to be yes. black or Asian. If he's not an Asian, yes. he's in Ethiopia. So. Th- Thinking in terms of sainthood well, rather than race is it is the way medieval Christians thought, and and, the, and if they think in terms of ethnicity, so the French hate the English, yes, but that's not the mm-hmm. that's not what the race war. Oh, you know, it's always been this way. You're just denying reality. Arguments that we're seeing online are. No, it hasn't always been this right. way. It hasn't. Rwanda proves that there is no way that that radio, the, the radio transmissions could have jacked up that it, that ethnic tension to the level of a genocide. If it's always been this way, that is right. a lie. Sub-Saharan Africa wouldn't have had race wars if it was always this way. That makes no sense. There is no such thing as pan-African identity in Africa. That does not exist. This is an American fiction. This is something that's been concocted by racial Bolshevists that want to, um, amalgamate disparate populations into a controllable uh, political block. Yep. And so if you're going to talk with these terms, then you'll get the outcome that the people that are doing this are <laughs> are setting you up for. But it's not going to be a Christic Europe. It's not going to be the return to tradition, let's go back to European Christianity society, because they didn't think like this. They thought in a way that meant that the most important saint for the Holy Roman Empire was a black man. Like, you can't, <laughs> if you're not picking up St. Maurice's sword in your mind and understanding that this is how you have to go on a kind of crusade against the modernity amnesia that has made everyone completely mm. retarded, including myself, because I'm a colonial subject. We've been badly retarded by this um, conditioning. Australia is a, is a product of Darwinism applied to engineering isn't there a town named Darwin very, down there we've got an entire city yeah. called Darwin <laughs> up north in the northern territory <laughs> yeah 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 um so you know we had it we had it bad here uh it, it's badly damaged our culture because what it's done is it's put uh it's put this racial bolshevism between people that should otherwise be thinking in the way that the Holy Romans did. Um, and in terms of being able to create a Christian society or a Christian nation, 
you cannot rely on Darwinism to form a Christian nation. It is anti-Christian. It is anti-Christ. So if you want a Christian nation, you have to start thinking like Holy Romans. So who? Yes, and we. It, I, I, I'm now looking for the other women, the the black Madonnas in the pictures. But now we got heads on spikes, right? And it's like <laughs> this is this is to, to say more. But it's like we yeah. get we get to this. It's like here the Normans are sacking Paris, and wait, what did the French do to each other in 1789? Yeah. Horrifying. It was a Tarantino film. I said yeah. it in the article. What the French did to each other was worse than a Quentin Tarantino movie. The Red Terror was real. It was bloodbath. They they destroyed France. The, well, this is the, the idea of these like, heads on pikes. I think you know it's like the first time that happens is when they storm the Bastille. It's like they haven't even they haven't been in revolution for two or three years. They do it like basically straight up. Yeah. And they they and they yeah. they capture the commander of the Bastille, chop his head off. There's another. There's six or seven other people with him. They chop their heads off. Parade around Paris with their heads on spears. Yeah, they weren't stealing motorcycles from a motorbike shop in Marseille. Like this was a. This yeah, was just a real ima riot. imagine if some of the rioters last week had done this with the heads. Mm -hmm. And and we'd be hearing we'd be not hearing one, about how person. you know it's 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 African brutalism. Okay, you guys. It was July 14th when her article came out. Yeah. No, the next day. Anyway, it's, it's it was July 14th in your world when it came out. Right? It was... <laughs> yeah. Bastille Day <laughs> down here is celebrating future. Heads on Pikes. Yeah. Yeah. And the French do it every year. The croissant utopia hides this fact. Because now everything is so polite and beautiful. Heads and on pikes. Fireworks and there's a parade. It's heads on pikes. Yeah. That was the revolution. It's, it's so I'm trying to think, why am I so conscious of this? One is because I teach the French Revolution every other year when I teach Euro Civ. This, this coming year, I'm going to teach it again. And we're going to read these texts about how they put heads on pikes and then they you know, argue themselves into executing their own king, and then they argue themselves into guillotining thousands and thousands of their own people. And then let's talk about the Vendée in a, in a bit, with they sink the ships to drown the people that they put in them because they need to execute so many Catholics at one time. The peasants, yeah. the peasants who are actually resisting the city, trying to liberate them from the Ancien Regime. Um, but I think I'd say I, I went to a haunted house when I was like 10 and one of the, um, exhibits in this, it was in the mall, right. Was a guillotined figure, right. And there, the guy in the mm -hmm. robe and everything, like uncle fester kind of feeling. It's like big black wandering mm -hmm. out. And I was really scared. Like, like stuck in my head, the effect of a guillotine, which is to chop heads off. Yeah. It's funny, the, the, the Adams family, yes. the kids in the second film, they're playing with one and reenacting the French Revolution. <laughs> They've got Marie Antoinette being tried for treason against the French Republic. <laughs> Fascinating that that's the opening scene. Because <laughs> that's a horror for Catholics. Right. That Republican Revolution, what that meant. Well, it means the dissolution the, of the, not just the monarchy, but the, so Napoleon does restore the properties of the church but for several years the church is secularized or clear um uh first they first they um 
make the clergy civic officials and then mm. and then steal a lot of their property so that great monasteries like Cluny that had existed since the Middle Ages are just torn down in the revolution. There's one tower left of Cluny and it used to be one of the biggest churches in Christendom. It makes the riots in France look like a barbecue. Yep. Tiny little barbecue. And the French did that to themselves in so far as we define French, right? It's like they're tearing down the monasteries. Yeah. Oh, oh, brace yourself. This one's going to be hard. Are you ready? They destroy mm -hmm. all the dove kits too. They make all the pigeons homeless. If you have all of the pigeons wandering around European cities, pooping on the buildings, it's because their homes are gone. There used to be dovecots for them to live in. And it was one of the, it was one of the very first things in, on August 4th, when the French, you know, the French nobility and clergy agreed to destroy the Ancien Regime. They, Article 2, they get rid of the dovecots. I, 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 I you see what my people you see what is my never going to recover this. <laughs> this is another strike against French everything. <laughs> they got rid of the doves. Because we're, we're I, I can't even deal with that. Why would you do it? I, I'm going to move thing. on from the heads on pikes. Oh, now we have liberty leading the people in 1830. I'm so painted by Delacroix, as immortalized in Les Miserables, which is written later. She's got boobs, right? Is that are we, are we only happy? Oh, the boobs, Happy about what happened because she's got boobs in a flag, and we say liberty. <laughs> this is what the French do for the rest of the 19th century. Is every other you know every other reign they have another riot in the streets. Right, so what, it sort of becomes a hobby for the French yes, at that point, right? <laughs> yes, and if you've actually read Les Miserables and paid attention, the barricades go up, and he has this great description. This is Victor Hugo. Great description on the one hand of the barricade that was all like orderly and, and well-built, and the other one that was just like you know, a heap of rubbish. But one way or the other, Par Parisians in their own city arm themselves against each other and build barricades so that they have little forts in, in the middle of the street. And then throw cobblestones at each other. Kind of like what was going on last week. Oh, do you mean that the Africans have learned how to be Parisian? It seems like they've assimilated Ooh. perfectly into French society. <laughs> they've become French. I think, I think truly people just don't know enough French history to realize how many times this happened. Barricades. So even in Terry Pratchett in Nightwatch has a, has a great rendition of the barricades, which I think he's playing off of Victor Hugo's version of it, which everybody's seen because they seem in the name miserable, which I haven't, but I read Victor Hugo or listened to it on, on audiobook. Um, they did this multiple times, riots in the streets, right? The, that, that, I mean, I think that's why the yellow vests are like, you know, moderately effective or not, right? It's like the French just know how to protest. That they do it in the streets. They're 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 much more Americans. We just do you know parades, I guess, occasionally. Yeah, no, the the the, the French riot. Mm -hmm. Like they 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 know how to riot. <laughs> um. So. So this was this was my my fascination with the responses that everybody was giving to the to the french situation you know blaming 
immigration, blaming mass immigration. The most simplistic way of explaining what is going on in France is to say that you've got too many foreigners in France and therefore the multicultural experiment is a disaster. Mm -hmm. That is a simple way of describing it. I think the more accurate way of describing it is you have too many Normans and, <laughs> French, and French people that don't know what it means to be French, except right. for rioting. There's no homage in France anymore. This is a post-revolutionary population that have had several centuries of toxic philosophy running the society. There's no uh, cross and crown. There's no sort of Saint Maurice that's mythologically uniting France together. I don't really know what exists for France as a mythological union, except for that woman with her top off running through the street. It's, it's that of... one in the Mar La Marseillaise, like, right? Interesting. That's, that's interesting, it, right? interesting that they burn the library there, right? I mean, it's it's interesting if if in fact that was the library getting burned. It's like the the problem with all of all of what's happened is they've forgotten their own history. Thanks to, I mean, in the, in the revolution, they, you know, they try to redo the calendar so that they have year one. It's very, it's very confusing studying the revolution because you have mm. to, sometimes you're dealing with Thermidor and I don't know what that means, right? Is they re, they, they rename all the, the months. They want to start the calendar again. They reorganize France. So it's decimal. Talk about decimating, right? The, the all mm. the, 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 the um, structures of the government and such are made, you know, to fit into the new enlightened t sets of tens. And they, I, there is a revival of the church in, in the 19th century, but the ideal that I understand of France now, from uh, one graduate student I had who was working on this concept in sort of cultural terms, is the laicite, since particularly the 1870s, when they, they've had very several waves of anti-clericalism and so forth. Um, that the French now, I mean, it's not just godless liberalism. It's like they, they define themselves as a secular state so much so that they don't yes. even know how many people are Catholic because it's like, America, we may be one way or another about this, that, or the other, but at least on our census, we believe in asking people what religion they are so that we might have like some accurate social data. The French can't ask. It's illegal. They, they, they literally have no idea how many uh, it, how many people of any religion how many people how many French of any religion identify as anything because they don't find out they don't ask. Thanks, Jacobins. Yep, they're so <clears throat> secularized that they you know they're so lake that they do not have a sense of and and the thing is their own religion this is this is like the wokeness of the united states going against yes. all sorts of you know actual religion well true religion which is christ um that they they, they they if they're not french they're nothing because they they are in a state where they have to worship the state or have no identity although there are yes. french catholics who are you know fairly active in in a lot of cultural ways but they're kind of invisible because of the way the French government completely denies that religion exists, which could give us some clue on why the people that are, live there are Muslim, don't like being to, erased in these terms. Now that is where that you know so we're not we're we're nearly to the point where we've completely dismantled. I hope the simplistic version of of things that people have started with. I don't yes. think we're going to have time to do the other side of all of this, which is what Christians mm -hmm. should be doing. Um, but but 
to say France, I mean, the, the, it's not just that they only have race in the national, you know, the international media to describe what's going on. They don't have in France the same terms to even talk about it as, for example, in Germany, at least they know people are Christian. In France, nobody is admittedly yes. Christian in the terms of the government because they're not allowed to find out. Yeah, it's a croissant utopia. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. That's, I mean, it's a vending machine. This is what I would describe as a vending machine. But France is not what it used to be. It's now become an, an imperial vending machine. And it's churning people up within it to be spat out as something called French without anything really defining French identity. They have French accents. That's it. They speak French. That's it. But beyond that, you can apply to go to France and become French. So then it's a bureaucratic process. There's paperwork involved. Okay, so we understand that because that's a kind of civic nationalism. Right. People that argue against civic nationalism are going to say, oh, well, that's not real nation nationalism because you have to be racially French in order to become French, but or to be French. But to be racially French, that doesn't account for all of the odd examples of people joining in the tapestry of France and making France what it is. Uh, like the Dumas family, who are <laughs> like a complicated colonial uh, uh, phenomenon, that the, the family Dumas have really... Uh, They've been fundamental in creating French identity and themselves, like... By modern definitions, wouldn't count. By modern definitions, would not count as being French. Right. They would be um, Darwinized and referred to in racial fractions. And then there would, there would be a discussion on the blood quantum, exactly how French are these men. Oh, well, it's okay, because four or five generations down, they're not really black anymore. They're not Africans. Well, that's not really uh, accurate in terms of genetics. Right. But the thing is, genetics can't account for nationalistic identity either, because if it did, then I would be French. I can't even pronounce French words. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what what then are you as a kind of output of French colonialism? The, the vending machine just kind of threw everyone out all over the planet, and then you, you, the people that came into France, like the Vikings from the north and Rollo and the people that formed France, created an entire region out of being imports, Normandy. Okay, so it's way too simplistic for me, for everyone to have a conversation about what's going on in that vending machine and put it on a level of skin color. It doesn't make sense. Right. Well, so what, we, so it, what we've actually decided, realized is, so civic, I, I actually agree with the, the civic nationalists Crit, crit, criticism it's like saying yes saying that you are a citizen on paper although there is there are ways in which you know medieval europe invents paper citizenship by ways of privileges given to cities where if you live there for a year and a day you count as a citizen but those are these local communities deciding you have to come in and you have to behave like you belong to our community and behave according to certain rules and 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 so forth so mm -hmm. indeed civic nationalism is kivis it's city nationalism so yeah there's another conversation there but you know, saying that yes so that people are not sorry that would be more go ahead 
Oh, that would be more like city-states, not like a right. modern nation-state as we know well, it. Well, modern nation-states develop out of the need to field giant armies. Okay. Um, and you give them uniforms. I mean, it's interesting that, that Dumas' granddad was military, right? Because much of... it. It's interesting. All of the things that have been happening in the last few years have finally taught me more about early modern history than I ever was able to appreciate before. That the modern armies that march in formation, like now, you know, the Soviets use or the Soviets, the Russians use or the Americans use when they want to show off their their power. That that kind of um, formation army is a, a artifact of the 17th century. With this also with the imperial, mm. so and you need a nation. Nations are defined by the men who will put on the uniform and die for you in those terms, and then you end up mm. with this whole sort of mythology of patriotism of dying for your country, and then you end up with World War One and World War Two, and so forth, right? So there's a military level to modern nationalism. Always has been. That's why these banners are actually military flags. There's a a, a city citizenship level in the civic nationalism part. Um, we've established that there's this Darwinian problem in terms of the way in which you think of groups belonging to each other or not because of these fractions. And then there's actual mm -hmm. people, ethnos, kinship, nation. Yeah. And I, I like what we've we've worked through tonight. It's like saying there are all these different levels of identity that the black-white race war caricature completely... I mean, it's it's not it's not even just it obliterates it. It's like it it's antithetical to because it itself is another kind of mythological, political construction. Yeah. It is. It's obliterated in Egypt, which is why I overemphasize uh, things, elements of Egyptian history and elements of Coptic history because. Egypt is where black on white and white on black goes to die. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, Egypt does not follow those rules. Um, and so the, the rage against the, the Netflix Cleopatra, that wasn't the Egyptians angry because they'd cast a dark skinned woman as Cleopatra. Mm -hmm. They were angry because American racial Bolshevists have decided to ignore Egyptian history. Right. And to Americanize it by blackwashing as America does, because America can't think like Egypt. It thinks in America, thinks black on white, white on black. It's, it's stuck in that, that binary. The Egyptians were angry because they said, hold on, the Ptolemaics were Greeks from, Macedon uh, from uh, Macedonia. Uh, we, had, we had Greek dynasty here. You can't ignore the Greek uh, contribution to the Egyptian civilization. Right. This is why they're angry. Uh, because they think like ancient people, they understand all of the different elements that have been poured into Egypt and all of these different peoples and cultures and religions and languages and things that go into that giant melting pot of Egypt. And it doesn't melt. It's creolized. They've really, um, they've really, uh, you need a better metaphor. Melting pot's not a good one. Melting, but it's a terrible yeah. one. I'm trying to think. Well, of a it's like one. they're tapestries, you know, you can follow threads yeah. that go to, Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. More so than mosaic. Yeah, it I, is think, a, I mean, tapestry yeah. is like that because there's, there's, you know, you could take this one thread and follow all of these families back to this. You take this other one and those are connected too. And that 
we we are not kidding. We we say you've got to study more history, because the the ma yeah. the massive spell that keeps getting cast over everybody is of amnesia. Of of, mm. of being told over and over and over again that the world is 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 this cartoonishly simple place of, um, like it's not even sports rivalries because people usually know those better than they know other histor histories, right? They'll know all the players and mm. when who was in charge of which team and where they used to be and such like. You need to know history at that level to appreciate the complexities of what rivalries are going on now. And and the we have we we're gonna have to do a part two on this because I think we've 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 nearly come to our time on this one, and I have more to say and it's yeah. not going to happen in ten minutes. Um, that there are deep threads and curiosities going on in what's happening in France right now, but it, it's not and and it it's not as simple as these are Africans. They're destroying churches mm. for a reason. Yes. Yes. The um the problem with developing a vending machine, a Jacobin vending machine, and declaring that the thing that makes you French is liberty, equality, fraternity, is that the rest of the planet don't operate on Jacobin rules, mm. and so well, America keeps this is trying hubris. to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> America is interesting because America thinks that it can impose Americanization on the rest of the planet, and. Um, it has attempted to do this and I think it's failing and it's um, America sort of edge tests and then figures out that it's striking borders that it can't, um, it can't penetrate, it can't break. Mm. There's, there's a border in the Mediterranean. It's an invisible border. People can't see it anymore. They used to see it really clearly. And, um, We, you know, the simple thing is like people will say, oh, there's a language barrier. In America, they had a color line. You know, you had a one drop policy. It was who could pass. If you could pass as white and try and get away with it, that was fine. Like all of these different places have had these invisible borders. The Mediterranean has an invisible border. That's religion. And France has created this vending machine system where it's broken the national boundaries and created colonies all over Africa. And the Jacobin system, the Jacobin France mentality is that you come in and you have liberty and equality and fraternity without any caveat. There's no, uh, there's no condition there. It's just a kind of open invitation. Sort of, there's, you know, if you look at it as like a job application, you go, okay, liberty, that sounds good. Equality, yeah, that sounds fantastic. Fraternity, fantastic. What actually creates those three things? There's no reference point for it. The French have invited a huge amount of people into France and they've taken over other colonies, uh, they've taken over other areas of the planet and they've dominated populations of people who did not believe in the Jacobin system. And then that Mediterranean border, that religious border, means that the people that they've brought into the Jacobin secular France have brought with them a religion which makes that a complete impossibility. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and that's probably another conversation I think we I think, need to I think have. We need, I, yeah, I start we, on no, this we'll, theme, never, like... we'll never get. So we'll just, we'll, we'll give you a hint where we would go, because here we have the Virgin of Montserrat. No. Oh. Um, well, you work on Black Madonnas. You've you've been well, you've been talking about the Black Madonnas. I love I love how okay. So this is uh, we're gonna just we're gonna shame <laughs> and name. No, we're not. We're just gonna shame. Um, <laughs> that I had I had someone in my channel coming after you for being cliched about these ladies, our Black Madonnas, mm -hmm. and saying how 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 common it was to keep invoking them. And I'm like, honey, back off, my girl. <laughs> That's mine. Negro Sloom said Formosa, right? And and this is what hilariously. So interestingly, nobody really works on these black Madonnas because nobody knows what to do about them because we have no idea why they're black. Um, although they seem it's it's a very we've got a bunch of them. This one's at Montserrat in Spain, right? We have this one in France. Uh, these are not ones I necessarily know. Um, here's a painting of them. It's like there's there. Oh, this is uh, Veronica with the black face of Christ. Um, Queen of Sheba. I'll go back to the black Madonnas. Um, that, I, you know, at various times people have said, oh, these black, these Madonnas are black because the soot um, from the candles. It's like, that's nonsense because the rest of the statue's not black. Their clothes aren't mm -hmm. black, right? So they're clearly meant to be black. I th I think it's probably from the Song of Songs saying, because the Song of Songs is used so much to describe Mary in the liturgies. And I have written books about this. Kiltz is right. I am actually one of the experts on, literally one of the experts on this. So much so, this is this is delightful. My dissertation on the Virgin Mary and the Song of Songs was recently translated into French and published <laughs> by Honoré Champion. So my book, I can't speak French, but my book can. Right. And and showing yeah. the way in which it's so important that these the, the the Song of Songs itself is used to describe Mary and that this one verse of it, I am black, but beautiful, O daughters of Jerusalem, um, is used over and over and over again in Mary's liturgies. And so it makes sense that the stat I mean, again, it's like with Saint Maurice, they'll make medieval Europeans will make images of, of Mary as black. And this is has nothing mm -hmm. to do with modernity or diversity or immigration or anything it's the theological reality of what it means to say i am you know in scripture described as black but beautiful and there mm -hmm. they are and so there's these i mean the statues seem to be fairly common in the south of france which is interesting but whether they're they're meant to be showing mary as quote racially black or whether it's a you know spiritual black that the song of songs is booking one way or another they're showing our lady is black mm -hmm. yes and um, i i rather think that these these images are going to suffer the same kind of attention as the churches have and therefore it has zero to do with whether or not they're being represented as black African Muslims would not look on that and say, oh, goody, thank you for black. representing the Madonna as a black woman. <laughs> no. And although they do revere her if, as from yeah. the, the Quran, but no, right? It's like, this is... Oh, they give her respect, but images to venerate? Mm -mm. No. 
Right. So we've been we've been saying this all along. We've I think now we've hopefully set this up well enough to say this is a religious war. Race is being used by the secular liars to make you think that that's what's going on, and it's not. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a race war. It's not a race war. And uh, you know, we've had we've had feedback. Somebody saying that it's oh, it might it may as well be because they see it like that. No, they don't. They absolutely do not see it like that. Uh, one of my comments on the the phenomenon of immigrating into a country like this, because I've had to do a, a reverse migration and then return to the West. So I, I was born in the West and then mm -hmm. left it and uh, went to Africa and came back into the West. So I've had to do a reverse immigration and I've had a reverse culture shock. Coming back to the West after being in Africa is horrible. It's actually a horrible experience. Um, the secularism smacks yeah. you in the face. After you've been in a culture that, talks about God openly, praises God openly, even in the language, in the greeting to say salam alaikum, right. peace, peace be upon you. That phrase comes from Christ. The Muslims picked it up from Christian practice of the Middle East. Um, uh, when your language is saturated in religion and then you move back into a vending machine that has bleached itself of all religious identity to have a secular croissant utopia or a hamburger utopia like America or Australia, the kangaroo utopia down here. The, the language is bleached of religion. It's bleached of a ethnic flavor. And then you have to fit into it knowing what you're coming back into is the kind of, uh, it's race mm -hmm. death. <laughs> You've got two options. You can integrate into it or you can fight it. So I know, I know this experience. Uh, the secular utopias are coming to an end they are not sustainable. Um, and for people that have grown up in a culture where the language is saturated in faith, they can see these republics for what they really are. That will be my um, my final observation of the, <laughs> <laughs> of the thing. We, well, we've got yeah. we've, we've got some we've got uh, some super chats going on. Um, all right, Buzzsaw Bear, you need, you're gonna need to, I'm gonna, I'll read these for you and then you have to take them on. So Buzzsaw Bear is saying, take a bunch of crayons and put them into a melting pot, they'll turn out gray. Yes, right, melting pot is a, is a poor analogy for the way history happens. Buzzsaw Bear, Muhammad Ali said, bluebirds should be with bluebirds. Muhammad Ali was not at all educated on Arabic history or the Islamic civilizations of the old world. Taking so. take him as an authority. Yes, Cassius Clay needs no. to like. Okay, Buzz Salbert, this is actually super chat. Thank you. How many Frenchmen does it take to defend Paris? <laughs> Casey responds to him. To go to Sacre-Cœur in Paris, Buzz so you'll see African Catholics defending the church there. Mm -hmm. Frenchmen, who knows? Catholics, well... Oh, one church. Great. The answer for Paris is we haven't found out yet. No one has. Casey. Casey's doing yeoman service for us in the chat. I mentioned that church because it was an African neighborhood. It's not yes. just the one church. What's IOW mean? In other words. Oh. Um, okay, that's not a super chat, so I'm not going to... Um, Bess Albert is making the accurate observation that some people want to have us fighting each other and to set us up for these fights. And yes. we should consider that. 
that you are being enticed into fighting people whom you should be bringing to Christ by false categories of humanity. And this is, this is not if to say there's think... not ethnic differences or that there's not large population differences between the peoples of the, the great ancient continents, Africa, Europe, and Asia, although there's only Eurasia and mm -hmm. Africa. So one big continent and another big continent, right? That's not what we're saying. We're saying that, that you have been fed lies mm -hmm. by modernity into misunderstanding the complexity of our own perpetual interaction across those great regions of the ancient world. And it, it, it's interesting that, you know, those of us who are living outside of that ancient world in our mixed, mixed up histories still want, I mean, it's like, it's way easier to think in caricatures and simple um, binaries than it is in the full complexity of the tapestry of human history, which includes mm -hmm. that sword, the Austro-Hungarian emperors used until until like until the last Hungarian emperor was Austro-Hungarian emperor was was crowned right until World yes. War One. Yes, and then Austro-Hungary was uh, collapsed by the British. Yes. Yeah. Who were Norman? No way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hungary is a trip. But, uh, the... No, but it's it's saying that that you guys you really, really, really need to learn some more history. Otherwise, we're just not going to be impressed. Well, it's it's it also means that if you can't think in complicated ways like this, you're listening to the radio Rwanda, yep. and then you've got no way of fighting against it. Right. Because... They're going to try to turn you into simple binaries to make you fight each other. And yeah. the only the only thing yeah. that happens is your neighbors get their limbs hacked off, or you do. Yeah. And you can say, oh, it's great, bring it on all you want, but <laughs> uh, I would recommend going to the, the Genocide Museum in Rwanda be too enthusiastic about those kinds of things okay i think bus Salbert has only started commenting now and we've been talking for two hours so i think these are these are um off topic questions but since it's a super chat i will read it um uh, does the ten commandments differentiate between murder and killing i think this is a topic for a different stream <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay um, Casey has, I think, the best last word. The Protestant House of Saxe-Coburg has a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have learned some medieval history thanks to my my loyal pigeon guide. Good mm -hmm. job. Thank you. Yeah, this was fun. Uh hopefully uh, hopefully if you guys can you know watch the stream read the article again if you've already read it um and start to think about europe as a continent who thought in a, a continent that thought in sainthood and not race yeah just do it as an experiment and it might clarify a lot of things that have been happening to the european population since world war one I mean, also Europe has, as a as a continent, that's actually been in contact with the rest of the world for centuries. I mean, to mm -hmm. to imagine that what's happening now is simply 
you know, Europe has been purely removed from everybody else, and and this is this is the first time a great invasion has happened. No, but I mean, it's like we haven't even done the Battle of Tours Poitiers yet, right? The 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 experience of Europe on the edge of the Eurasian continent was one of perpetual invasion. We we talked we okay. So tonight we talked about the Vikings or the Normans. But in the in the centuries in which you know Charlemagne only manages to have his empire, basically Louis the Pious, his son, holds on to it for a bit, and then his their his grandsons break it up. But they're under attack not just from the Normans, but also from the Muslims, and also from the Magyars, who become the Hungarians. And Otto, the one who had that sword of Samarit, um, is that Otto the first manages to. To stop the Magyar advance at the Battle of Blackfield in 955, his grand his son manages to marry a Byzantine princess, Theophanu, and Otto III, who is is emperor at the year 1000, and they celebrate the Feast of the Assumption in in Rome and so forth, is the son of a, a you know, Byzantine princess. The intermarriage and the mixing and the problem with the invasions is. European history. And that book that Kilts can see from where she's sitting, um, where Gibbon talks about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire and pats himself on the back as, you know, at the height of the Enlightenment, English have figured out how to sur survive all of this. Ironically, there's a there's a chapter in it where in which he claims that the reason that Europe is so strong is because it's had so many different nations all battling each other the whole time. And so they've gotten stronger. Homogeneity is is uh, yet another Darwinian fantasy, I think. Mm -hmm. Ben Saber, starting to not care so much about history, but the future. You don't get to. We live in time. We are yeah. creatures of time. If you have no history, you have no memory, and you don't learn anything ever. It also makes no sense. How can you have a vision for the future when you don't understand where you've been? Well, apparently people can live on the internet and can't remember yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we hope, we hope now you remember that sword. If nothing else, remember that yeah. sword that Samarites wielded, refused to wield against Christians and which the mm -hmm. Holy Roman Emperors held as their badge of office to defend Christianity. Yeah. St. Maurice, pray for Saint us. St. Maurice, pray for us. To be continued. Because <laughs> <laughs> we actually did have more that we were thinking about talking about tonight, but I think yeah. this, this, this deserved unpacking in full. Um. You guys, you guys can, you know, we're going to keep talking about we're, we're starting up. So we've got next week is a, our last official week of season one because it's only 52 weeks. And then we figure we should flip over into a new like catalog of episodes because otherwise the website gets too complicated. Um, we are going to continue talking about uh, women and what we really want. And we're going to tell you guys once we... <laughs> <laughs> not figure it out. I think we know, but sometimes we're not saying it out loud as as clearly as we ought to. We're going to be blunt next week. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. So finale of season one, <laughs> the end of July, What Women Really Want, part two of however many parts, because we're complicated and, and you guys are, are 
desperate to know what we think. We hope. Um, <laughs> if you haven't subscribed yet to the Dragon Common Room list, you're missing the newsletters that go out every Friday and they will have special goodies and uh, guides to help you find your way through all of these stories that we've been weaving um, in our journeys, both in our storytelling through our poetry and in the Mosaic Arc. Um, so like and subscribe, but subscribe in our in our Dragon Common Room list so you get the newsletters. Mm. Um, yeah, you need the newsletters as, yeah. as a as a as a stop off. I think no, we 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 appreciate that that not everybody follows all the threads that we do as like mm. religiously as we do. So if you get lost, we're we, we're making a map, right? The the newsletters will yeah. give you a map to all the different parts of, of the things that we're working on. And we promise to keep doing those weekly too. So please sign up. This, this, this week's newsletter has a, has a really special uh, treat to point you to. So you, you're going to want it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and this dove, this dove has a home back in the ark. So I'll take care of her. <laughs> No revolutionary dubkit <laughs> <dove> destruction. <laughs> no, stop smashing them, please. Build them again. No, no, no. We have we, we have proper home, to live. home home home. Take care of the home pigeons. Okay. Good night, everybody. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Bye.